Let us worship God. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in God's word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, in Jesus Christ you show us the breath of your power and the depth of your love. You listen to our cries of pain and hear our laments. You see the fear in our eyes and know the secrets of our hearts. You do not turn from our distress, but stretch out your hand to heal, to comfort, and to save. All thanks and praise be to you, O God. Your steadfast love endures forever. Amen.
Because of such great mercy, God is ready to forgive all the ways we fail to live in faithfulness. Relying on that mercy, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Trusting you does not always come easy when each day we are faced with the ugliness of the world. We do not believe that love conquers fear. We are not convinced that power comes through weakness. We cannot conceive how you could heal us. Forgive our lack of faith, O God, and renew our trust in you. For we would be disciples of Jesus, in whose name we pray. peace with one another because of God's mercy. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiving. Since God in Christ has forgiven us, let us also forgive one another. The peace of Christ be with you.
Good morning. Welcome to Westminster Worship on this beautiful Sunday morning. I'm Katie Gossage, Associate Director of Youth and Programming here at Westminster. And um, I'm going to share a few announcements with you. So the first thing is on Sunday, July 11th, during the Sunday school hour, um, in room 10, uh-oh, Micah Punchokar? Sorry, Micah. <laughs> from Compost Nashville, um, is going to lead a discussion on composting and Christianity, why God cares about creation, and why we should too. Um, he'll share his own faith story, take us through the basics of composting, and answer questions about the connection between faith and the environment. And we welcome you to that class. Secondly, after worship today, you're invited to have lemonade in the courtyard and fellowship with each other. And lastly, um, I'd like to invite Mark Dunkerley up from the Oasis Center for our moment for mission. Yeah. Good morning. Last time I was handed a microphone and allowed to be up here, I was a senior in high school and the Laudate Choir getting ready to sing Every Time I Feel the Spirit. <laughs> it's been a moment. <laughs> if you told me then that I'd be up here today speaking to you about homeless youth, I'd have looked at you like you're crazy. And not just crazy because I never in a million years thought this would be the career path my life would take me on. I'd have looked at you like you're crazy because as a senior at MBA, I had no idea someone my age was homeless in Nashville. See, when I was worried about what college I was going to go to, I had no idea someone was worried about where they would sleep. My senior year spring, don't tell my parents, we went over to Brown's Diner. They knew about that part. And we were all excited. We had freedom. We could taste the finish line. We were so close. Daphne was there. She'd look at my brother's ID, give me a wink, slide a picture of something over the table. And I was worried about, do I order the third cheeseburger? I didn't realize Brian Ritchie was in the parking lot of Freedman's right behind there, hoping that hot dogs weren't a big seller at the gas station that night. So that at 11 o'clock, when the shift ended, the clerk he'd befriended might be able to bring him dinner before he'd walk over to Belmont to the 440 bridge overpass and have a night to sleep. It wasn't until I went to Oasis Center in 2009 as a volunteer that I learned there were homeless youth in Nashville. Not just homeless youth, a lot of them. It was a problem for Nashville and every city. In 2019, we estimated the lowest number, lowest possible number of 13 to 24-year-olds that experienced homelessness in Nashville, 1,470. Where are they? I don't see homeless youth. They're not out selling the contributor, usually. They're not in the line at the mission, usually. If you're under 18 and someone finds you, you go to DCS, you go to state's custody. Man, if you thought the parents' rules were tough, 
I've tried DCS. So they don't want to be found. A lot of times it's a 17-year-old whose parents has kicked them out. A teacher takes them in because they see their students wearing the same set of clothes four days in a row. If they're over 18, they don't want to go to an adult shelter. I mean, what 18 to 24-year-old wants to hang out with a bunch of 50-year-olds anyway? Much less those they don't feel safe around. So they sleep in cars, three in a two-person vehicle. They find the garages that nobody checks on at night. If you go to any overpass where 440 cuts around the city, and you pay attention, you'll notice there's a fence. It's to keep people off the interstate. There's usually a hole in the fence. And if you weren't, if you went through the hole, you'd find homeless youth sleeping. It's a safe place to be, or at least a place they feel safe. Why are they homeless? Can't they just go get a job, pull themselves up by the bootstraps like we did? If your parents don't give you boots, or aren't there to give you boots, it's pretty hard to pull on the straps. Young people come to us at Oasis Center. We're at 1704 Charlotte. They walk down Charlotte, past Jack's Barbecue. They turn right at the Jiffy Lube on the Fifth Street. There's a little door on the side of the building. It's got a buzzer, camera. And they come to us, and I don't want to steal the thunder of the song. But when they come to us, they say, out of the depths of misery, crying out to you. Will you hear my cry? Why are they homeless? At least 50% of them have been in the foster care system. They've bounced from place to place to place. One young person I talked to recently was placed in 13 different foster care families between the age of 14 and 18. So in addition to your parents, either not loving you or being taken away from them. That's a lot of times people have opened up their house where you thought maybe, maybe someone will trust me, maybe someone will love me. After probably the fifth time, you might not behave as well as that foster family wanted you to. Out of the depths. 30 to 40% of youth experiencing homelessness identify somewhere on the LGBT spectrum. One young person, his father kicked him out of the house when they turned 18. He's Christian. We don't do that in our house. It wasn't bad enough to kick their daughter out for who they wanted to love. They decided to throw their clothes in the front yard and burn them as their daughter sat there in a puddle of tears. Why are they homeless? So when they ring that buzzer and they ring that bell, there's a million different reasons why. Everyone's journey is different. They all share one thing in common. They're not feeling love. They're feeling abused. They're feeling traumatized. They're feeling despair. But they're looking for something. They're looking for hope. They're looking for healing. They're looking for someone to listen to them, someone to hear their cry. 
At Oasis, we offer an emergency shelter for 13 to 17-year-olds. We offer free counseling services. We offer housing placement, workforce development, a variety of services I could go on and on, 20 different programs and all. At the end of the day, we provide love. We provide relationships. We provide that caring adult that sits there in their moment of greatest need, who rings that bell, having no idea what's on the other side, and they find a caring adult. These days, they find someone that's smiling, not behind a plexiglass wall with a mask on. The 10 years that I've been at Oasis Center, Westminster's been there every step of the way. That was one of the coolest things when I first started working there, was to see that the church I grew up in, the church I theoretically come to, <laughs> has been supportive. And, and this year, Westminster really stepped up. We saw a 114% increase in the number of times that doorbell was rung this year. And the church stepped up. The Benevolence Committee sent a clear message that we hear you. We're listening with attentive ears. And it's pretty special when you work in a nonprofit to know that people out there who you don't see, maybe you don't talk to, maybe they weren't on your Zoom call, that they care, that they want to help. And this year was a little different. Normally Westminster comes and does a day of caring, faith works, comes in and helps out in person. We couldn't do all those things. So it meant a lot to know that folks were still out there with a listening ear, listening to the cry for help from homeless youth. I'd welcome anyone that wants to to come down to Oasis Center and take a tour, volunteer once we start doing that again in July, um, fixing lunch, doing snack pack drives, clothing drives, that type of thing. So in closing, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being there. Thank you for listening with an attentive ear and hearing these young people's cry for mercy. Let us continue to worship. Lord, let the honest responses of our hearts to these readings grant new insight into the great story your grace is already telling in our lives. Amen.
From the second book of Samuel, chapter 1, verse 1, and picking back up, verse 17 through 27. Hear the word of God. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from defeating the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. David intoned this lamentation over Saul and his son Jonathan. He ordered that the song of the bow be taught to the people of Judah. It is written in the book of Jashar. He said, Your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor bounteous fields. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, anointed with oil no more. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, nor the sword of Saul return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson in luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Last Sunday, we heard the story of Jesus asleep on a cushion on a boat in the midst of a storm, and his disciples accused him of the deadliest of the seven deadly sins, Acadia. Don't you care? Don't you care that we are perishing? Well, Jesus woke up, Jesus stood up, and said to the storm, Peace, be still. And then he said to his disciples, Have you no faith? And his disciples said, Who is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? Who is this Jesus? It is at the heart of Mark's disciple gospel. And those closest to him in this gospel do not know. But today, in our scripture, we will find two people who are also in a storm of one kind or another who know exactly who he is. Listen. From Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, hear the word of God. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side... A phone rang. (laughs) All right. Hear the word of God. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered round him, and he was by the lake. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and said to him, and saw him and fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and she was no better but rather she grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately, aware that the power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. (laughs) And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him 
and went in where the child was, and he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The leader of a synagogue falls on his knees at the feet of Jesus because he knows who he is. He knows who Jesus is. A woman says, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well because she knows who Jesus is. And when you know who he is, you know who you are. Who are you? The curious adult asks the child, what will you be when you grow up? As if it isn't enough just to be. But the adult has found that who we are is defined by what we do. It's how we introduce ourselves to one another. Tell me, what is it that you do? I'm a dessert chef. Oh. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. Oh. I'm an exotic dancer. Oh. I sell used car warranties. Oh. You see how it works. A human being is a complete mystery, but how a person answers what do you do answers a lot of questions. We come to some understanding of who a person is, what a person values, how smart a person is, where a person lives, how much money they make. Let me know what I'm dealing with here. What is it that you do? Oh, you're a money manager. And the mind says, money manager? Nice home? Mercedes-Benz? Yes, I'm chair of the NASDAQ. And suddenly, a really nice home. Many nice homes. And the Mercedes comes with a driver. Here is someone who has power and authority, a success. We're not just dealing with anyone here. Wow! Here's someone who has done more in life than I've ever done in my life. Success. Wow! Yes, of course. I know you're, uh, you're, uh, you're Bernie Madoff. Our profession, our profession does not define who we are. Mark introduces a man by what he does. He's a leader of a synagogue. And what comes to mind is here's a person who's at the center of town physically and metaphorically. He is a man of the cloth, theologically trained. He has an answer for everything. He speaks the word of God. But there he is on his knees, completely unglued. The leader of the synagogue has found himself worshiping at the feet 
of Jesus. Our profession does not define who we are. As the visitor to our Wednesday morning Bible study said this week, I lost my job and now I'm on a quest to rediscover who I am. Who are you? The next character that Mark introduces is introduced by how she suffers. Now there was a woman who has been suffering with hemorrhages for 12 years. She has endured under many physicians and has spent all that she had and she was no better, but, but she grew worse. And that's another way we define people. She has cancer. Oh. He's lost his memory. Oh. I remember a woman in my congregation in Durham, a brilliant, brilliant woman, a writer, and then she suffered a stroke. And I remember visiting her in the nursing home and trying not to speak to her as if she was five years old. Because I knew, I knew who she was. And her nurses who would come in and talk to her as if she was five years old, I'd, I'd, tell, them, I'd tell, tell them about her. Oh, she's brilliant. How we suffer does not define us. It's not, it's not how we're defined. What we do, what we look like, our trials, our errors, they tend to define us. And because of that, we are most understood, are we not? Misunderstood, are we not? And there's nothing that makes us more sad than being misunderstood. When you're the one who's blamed, when your decision is questioned, when your friend forgets to call, as if they don't understand, when your pastor doesn't see you, when the church doesn't even stop by, don't they understand? Nothing makes us so sad as to be misunderstood. Nothing makes us as mad as being misunderstood. He doesn't know what he's dealing with here. Who are you? You are a complicated creature. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Complicated. 
And what's frightening about being complicated is that the simplistic boxes we use to find out who we are, they just don't work anymore. What's your name? Oh, I'm more than my name. What's your occupation? I'm retired. I'm more than an occupation. What's your sex? The boxes of male and female, they don't work anymore. They burned her clothes. Their own daughter's clothes. What's your religion? Muslim? Hindu? Attend at Christmas? Spiritual but not religious? I attend every week, but my mind's on the game that starts at noon. Presbyterian with a hint of Buddha on the side? Catholic, but I married into this church. A leader of the synagogue, but here I am at the feet of Jesus. A woman who hasn't been to worship in a long, long, long time. They won't let me in. I'm not pure enough. I have this disease. They know my suffering and they don't want me. To tell you the truth, if that's the God that they worship, I don't want to worship that God. Who are you? I believe the human condition is the same the world over. And who you are is someone who's misunderstood. Who you are is someone who wants to be heard. Who you are is someone who just needs a little appreciation from time to time. Who you are is someone who's sick and tired of being sick and tired. Who you are is someone who's scared to see the doctor. Who you are is a little worried about your family, your daughter, your son. Who you are is someone who's worried about your mom or your dad. Who you are is someone who doesn't know who you are. Who you are hurts a little bit. Who you are hurts a lot. It's just how we're created. I just think the human condition is the same the world over. And I think if we could create a creator, that is, I think if we could build a God, wouldn't we build a God who understands us? I'd make a God who understands me. I'd make a God who truly understands who am I, why I do what I do. I'd make a God who doesn't jump to conclusions. I'd make a God who'd give me some space from time to time, a God who'd give me time from time to time. 
I'd make a God that doesn't require groveling. I'd make a God that doesn't try to make me something into something I can never be. I'd make a God that has more than I'll ever have. God who has more grace, more kindness, more patience, more hope, more time, more love. If I'd make a God, I'd make a God who could be busy with a billion things, have just everything on him and everything all over him. I'd make a God who is just, if he's just so busy, I could just reach out my hand and touch. Who touched me? Teacher, you see the crowds pressing on you. How can you say, who touched me? No, no. Someone knows who I am. And I've hungered for this. I've thirsted for this. Don't you understand the most painful thing is to be misunderstood? And I carry the wounds of misunderstanding. But someone, someone touched me. Someone knows who I am. Who touched me? The human condition is the same. God knows. The desire to be known the desire to be touched, the desire to be known, who touched me at the moment. Heaven and earth connects. And the one who is well made is also the one who is made well. And it's who you are.
Let us affirm what we believe together. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Lord Creator, there are so many prayers to be said. For joys and heartaches felt. For pain given and received. For losses and for loves. Crack open our hearts that all these things be acknowledged and cared for by you and your community here. May we heal where there is a break, so peace where there is division, comfort where there is grief, and may we delight in that which is good. May we more fully and humbly serve the perfect purposes of your great kingdom. Amen. As we have been blessed, let us bless this church and those it serves with glad and thankful hearts by giving our tithes and offerings online or in the back of the church as you leave.
The Lord be with you. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Almighty and merciful God, from whom comes all that is good, we praise you for your mercies, for your goodness that has created us, your discipline, your discipline that has corrected us, your patience that has borne with us, and your love that has redeemed us. Help us to love you and to be thankful for all your gifts by serving you and delighting to do your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
are wonderfully and fearfully made. You are the body of Christ. So be the one who serves. Go forth knowing that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit are with us all, and all God's people said. Amen.